believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today is April 23rd, and it is the Feast of St. George, who is the patron saint of Aragon and Catalonia in Spain, and a traditional day for First Communion ceremonies in the Church of the Pierist School, it's a religious order, and in Spain, and it was on April 23rd, 1912, that St. Josemaria did his First Communion. He was only 10 years old, and in Spain, at that time, as in many other countries, children had not, as a rule, been making their first communion before the age of maybe 12 or 13, sometimes even 15. But in 1910, by a decree of Pope Pius X, the age requirement was lowered when, and it was suggested that, well, if a child has reached the age of reason and he can distinguish between normal bread and the bread of life, well, there's no reason why he can't, he or she can't receive communion. So he lowered the age of first communion. And that's why we have that tradition of little children, sometimes seven or eight years old, receiving communion. And the timing of this ruling coincided with the preparations for an international Eucharistic Congress that was celebrated in Madrid in 1911. So... In all of Spain, there was a, an intense catechetical effort that was launched in all the parishes in Spain and many religious orders that were running parishes so that the greatest number of young children could indeed receive uh, communion. And St. Josemaria was among that batch of young children who had, you know, had he been born a few years earlier, he would not have been able to receive communion. It would have, he would have had to wait and he was always very thankful to Pope Pius X, St. Pius X, for having made that decree, because he, he felt uh, very happy about that event in his life, which was the day that he did his First Communion. And he would observe this anniversary with an absolute unabashed fervor, as well as other anniversaries of his life, but especially what he said was this wonderful day in which, as he put it, he, God chose him, chose to come and take possession of my heart. He chose, God chose to come and enter under his roof, so to speak. And thanks to this good Pierist priest, whose name was Padre Laborda, who died in 1929, um, we say today the, the spiritual communion because St. Josemaria learned it from this priest who taught him the spiritual communion. 
and he learned it, he memorized it, he kept it in his thoughts, and it must have had a, a deep impact on him. If you memorize something as a child, it's because it stays there. And in fact, you know, you, there are people who memorize something as children and then they, they don't forget it ever in their entire life. And, and this really affected him. It was not simply like a rite of passage. It was not simply a, uh, how can I say, it was not simply an academic task, right, that he had to do. And so uh, he was really well prepared. And he learned it. He learned that spiritual communion. Now, he learned it, to, no doubt, together with thousands of others. But that spiritual communion was not a widely known prayer. It was not known in all the catechism books. I mean, it was known in some, but it was not widely reproduced. And the fact is that today, many thousands of people say that prayer of the spiritual communion because St. Josemaria so, you could say, so deeply integrated it into his heart. You know the, the prayer? Spirit of I wish my Lord to receive you with the purity, humility, and devotion with which your Most Holy Mother received you, with the spirit and fervor of the saints. And that, that's what he had memorized. It's not that long, obviously, so it's relatively easy to memorize. And uh, he memorized it because when, you, when we say to memorize something, we also say we know it by heart. We know something by heart. And, of course, when we know it by heart, it's because we know it in the heart. It's as though it goes to the very core of our being. That's why great poets would memorize long poems. They would take classics like the Odyssey, and they would memorize that, or they would take, you know, um, T.S. Eliot poems, and they would memorize them. Because, or, or certainly Shakespeare, I know when I had to study Shakespeare, I, mean, I definitely had to learn fairly long uh, soliloquies by Hamlet and Macbeth and King Lear and, and memorize them. And that was one of the ways that you showed that you had actually read it by simply memorizing. That is, you know, knowing them by heart. This knowing by heart. And what do you know by heart. What prayers do you know by heart? I'm sure you know the Our Father by heart. I'm sure you know the Hail Mary by heart. That's like, sometimes I ask little First Communion kids that are very small, I say, do you know the Our Father? Oh, they say, of course. <laughs> That's no problem. Do you know the Hail Mary? <laughs> That's no problem. Do you know the Creed? Like that. Do you know the Creed? <laughs> and they go, uh, let me see, let me see. They go, I believe in God. And that's about all they can go. You know, they sometimes they... So, like, you invite them to remember the creed. Sometimes it's easier to invite them to remember the spiritual communion or even the opening prayer, you know, that we just said now, or other prayers like that. And, of course, this specific prayer, the spiritual communion, was transmitted to thousands of children, but it was largely due to St. Josemaria's fervor there that we still know of it today. And as we contemplate and pray in the presence of Christ, precisely in the silence of our heart, we see that Christ really seeks to redeem us and to transform us, transform our hearts, transform our hearts, so that we can imitate 
his presence in the world today. And his presence in the Eucharist teaches us how to love, not only how to love God, but also how to love others and how to properly love ourselves. We have to love other, we have to love God, we have to love others, and we have to love ourselves. It's like a tripod, and at one time or another in our life, one of those legs of the tripod may be weaker than another. Sometimes we lack piety, and we don't really prepare with fervor to receive communion. We don't pray, so that's that's the, the love of God. Other times, it's we're not always thinking about others, we're not kind enough to others. Um, that's another tripod or, or, or leg in the tripod. Or sometimes we just don't feel good about ourselves. We feel a little bit lacking in confidence and uh, we, we, we lack confidence or we just feel sad about ourselves. Well, we, have to, we have to love ourselves properly. It doesn't mean becoming the center of the universe, of course, but it's, uh, you know, what, which leg needs to be bolstered? And... And if we do that, we can increase our desires to receive him better and to believe more in the reality of his love. His love for, well, the, the love of God, that we believe in the love of God, but we believe in his love for us and that we believe also in his love for others because he loves us, but he loves others. God the Father and the Holy Trinity, of course, are a communion of love or an interpersonal dialogue of love. Bishop Javier said that he, St. Josemaria, constantly repeated that formula. He said, I heard him preach many meditations in which he used that prayer, repeating it word for word. He said that it filled his soul with peace and serenity, even in moments of dryness or scruples. To see itself so poor and so loaded down with miseries, faced with this marvel of, of a God who unreservedly gives himself to us. And so he went back to that. And of course, he remembered also the event itself. Um, his parents had prepared a little souvenir card with his name on it. It's clear that he got specially dressed up for the occasion. He got a nice little suit. We know that uh, little girls like to get a nice dress. I, I heard a story of a, a, a lady who recounts she, her memories of her first communion. She, her parents were very, quite poor, and, uh, and uh, you know, they wanted her to do first communion, and the mother had not been baptized, uh, but she baptized the child. And uh, they were all getting ready, but there was no dress because they didn't have money for a dress. And so the mother went to a store and she asked for a certain dress to be put on layaway so that it was set aside and she would come in every week and take money from her salary from, you know, she was working as a cashier or something. And she would put a bit of money away so that with, uh, after several weeks, she eventually was able to pay off this beautiful white dress and the little girl was so happy, so thrilled to see it was it had a brocade and like a kind of a heart or something like that in the front, and it was it was a beautiful dress. And she she said that um, when she got older, she would when she got a bit sad or for some reason she would pull out that dress, right? And it would 
looking at that dress, even if folded up, obviously it didn't fit her anymore, but uh, uh, she would look at it and it would make her think the love of her mother, the love of God, and how Jesus wanted to come and visit her that day. Well, with St. Josemaria on big events, they were always for him associated with some kind of moment of pain or some kind of contradiction. And on his case, well, as you probably know, he, his parents sent him to the hairdresser, the barber, who wanted to put some nice curls on him and used an iron curling, a curling, a hot iron, hot curling iron. And as the barber, who was presumably not paying that much attention for a little 10-year-old boy, he turned the curling iron and somehow pressed the hard, the hot, part of the curling iron on his scalp and burnt the little boy, Jose Maria. But, you know, little children, little 10-year-old boy, they, they get affected by pain like that. They don't understand. It's, it's very hard for little children. But he held it in and he offered it to Our Lady. And um, he kind of understood that that meant that Jesus was coming soon. And... Um, well, of course, now, today, there's a new kind of pain which many people are experiencing, which is that many, if not all, First Communion ceremonies have been prohibited now because of COVID. You can only have 10 people at Mass, but the, the, the Archbishop has said no, no First Communion because it'll mean too many people, and, you know, so they don't want to people to make something very special like like a first communion into an occasion for the tri- for the virus to transmit itself like you're going for something special but then you get something bad like the virus understandably it's painful for parents it's painful for kids who want to do their first communion they want to make that that step it can be disheartening so let us pray now that that both the parents and the children wanting to do their first communion even in a context that you know, everything, you can't get too many people together and all that stuff, that nevertheless, the parents will find in, in their ingenuity some way to emphasize the value of First Communion, the holiness of First Communion, the day in which Jesus will enter into their house under their roof. And that they might say, I'm not worthy that you enter my roof. That phrase that we know was said by a Gentile to Jesus, I'm not worthy that you enter in my roof. Because he knew that there were laws um, in the Torah that, that Jews could not you know, associate with Gentiles. And if they did a certain amount of things, like um, you know, touch a dead body, or if they entered into the house of a Gentile, they were considered impure. Not because going into the house of a Gentile was bad. Or, like even, if you, even if you buried your own parents, which is obviously a good thing, you have to bury your parents, when you do that, you would be not be able to go into the temple after that. You'd have to purify yourself, even though what you did was good. So the same way, if you went into, for even good reasons, into the house of a Gentile or a pagan, you had to afterwards purify yourself. So, so this pagan didn't want our Lord to contaminate himself by entering into, into his home. That's why he said, I'm not worthy that you enter into my home. And yet Jesus, we know, healed his servant from afar. He didn't need to go there, actually. And, of course, that law, in a certain way, still holds. Lord, I am not worthy. 
I'm not worthy that you enter into my home. Of course, I'm not worthy when I sin. I'm not worthy. But also when I, when I don't really receive you, Lord, with the due reverence, right? with the due reverence, with acts of love, with acts of faith, with acts of hope. Let's try to reject any form of indifference when we come for communion. And now, as you know, with the COVID times, many have started receiving our Lord, of course, in the hand. And because of the danger of contagion directly on the tongue, of course, this can be, this receiving on the hand can be done with great reverence. It was St. Cyril of Jerusalem who talked about making it like one hand over the other, left over, over the right hand, uh, or right hand over the left, I don't know, one of the two, and then and then you take it, like you put, you make like a kind of a throne for the king to reign with your hands. That's what he explains to the first Christians. And with time, well, people put, would have done that at first, but with time people saw that it was more reverent, perhaps, uh, and and since a lot of people have very dirty hands and, uh, you know, workers and, I don't know, steel greasy hands and all that, they, just the idea of having clean hands to us seems obvious. We have soap, we have, uh, you know, we have um, sinks and then we easily have access to water. Well, when you're, imagine when you're going camping, you know, I mean, yeah, there might be water somewhere, but who knows where it is and uh, you have to go down to the lake and it's like not easy, right? So it's not as, so, so this, system was prepared uh, to go directly on the tongue. But now we have the pandemic, so... Um, and some people insist that they have the right to receive it on the tongue. Well, in, nor in normal circumstances, yes, it's a good thing. But how would Our Lady have received the child Jesus, right, in her arms, right? Or, or even Joseph, when he was given as the baby was born, I mean, he was taken with great care, great tenderness, right? Or, for that matter, when our Blessed Mother received the, the body of Christ from the cross, and there are many paintings of this, you know, the, what we call the lamentation, right? and, and the dead body falling into her arms. And, uh, and so, yeah, so maybe you can see with what care we do that. And that's what St. Rosemary understood, that, that Jesus had come to take possession of his heart and he said he chose to come to take possession of my heart but the protagonist ultimately was really Jesus who had come I heard uh, some details uh, yesterday about a young supernumerary from Brazil his name was Álvaro de Pedroso Siqueira Siqueira from Brazil who was about 27 years old and died on April 16th, a few days ago, of COVID in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And he is described as a beacon of light. He was hospitalized at the beginning of April. He was there for three days, intubated, 27 years old, anointed, was anointed with the sick, and, uh, and, and he died after that. And I mean, that's quite young, you know, he, was, he just turned 27, in fact. But the story is that he was originally, he started off as a, as a non-baptized Protestant. And in this article I read, he, 
it's, it's an account of his conversion story, how a friend of his at the university or someplace invited him to come to the center and to go to listen to certain conferences of the priest, which were, he said, we call these now meditations. But um, there he started learning doctrine, he got connected, he liked Friday pizzas, and, um, but for him, the plan was that he should get baptized as a Protestant, as a Protestant. Yet, as he started hearing this doctrine, he started hesitating. And he already even had a day planned. And this is what he recounts. So the day before that he was about to be baptized as a Protestant, he said, he went into a church, a Catholic church, he went there to pray. He said, I went to pray and tell God my concerns about being baptized as a Protestant, which I now accepted. In church, in the church, close to the Blessed Sacrament, there are two statues, one of Our Lady Fatima, the other of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. In this second statue, the, the Sacred Heart, Jesus is pointing to his heart and showing his wound as if to be, as if to be with him. As I prayed, I stared at the heart, and for an instant I felt that it was no longer his own heart that our Lord was pointing to, but mine, saying, look at your heart. I have put there the uneasiness that you feel for a reason. So you come to know my intention for you. So the reason he was feeling this uneasiness about getting baptized as a Protestant was that Jesus had another intention. And so he left with the certainty that he should not go ahead with this Protestant baptism. And so he delayed it for a little while, and eventually he was baptized in the Catholic Church. And so let us, uh, let us really prepare our hearts and our soul for that entry of Jesus. And he will come. And... Uh, he will strengthen us so that we can face any misfortune, any setback, and ask for a true entry into our heart. Jesus wants to take possession there. And we can pray for all those unable to do their first communion because of COVID, that nevertheless, that this, this really not stop them from at least growing in their faith in the Eucharist. Maybe they're, they're, it's technically, physically impossible now, but there will, be, there will come the time where they will be able to do by the dress, nice dresses, by the nice suits, and, and uh, you know, give praise to God in their first communion. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, to see for me.